This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, the East Division was really busy at the NHL's trade deadline yesterday. We'll check out last night's action in high school hoops, and we'll break down, we'll preview uh, the West Virginia girls' playoffs, which began uh, this past Saturday. Section playoffs this week. Region playoffs next week. State tournament uh, the week after that. A longtime New England Patriot calls it quits. The question is, uh, is he a Hall of Famer? And we'll jump into that. And uh, much, much more in the next two hours of the Morning Rush. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day. I got to fix my mic here. Hold on. It's a little bit. It's a little low at the moment. There we go. I was hunched over. Which is not ideal for a guy of my size with back problems to be hunched. Anyway, several ways to get involved on the show, as always. See, now the microphone's too high. I'm having issues here. I'm having microphone problems. Just start off the show. I can't get it. I can't. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be right. It's got to be centered. There we go. See how that works for a while. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. Our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Anytime you feel froggy, make the leap and drop me a line. Got a question? You want to comment on anything we talk about, an opinion? Or you just want to say hey? At ESPN Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C on Twitter at Cumberland's ESPN Radio on the Book of Faces. Of course, taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo, 301-759-2628. And our podcast page, which is functioning once again. On the free Podbean app, we upload every show every day minus commercials. Actually, it was functioning yesterday. We just couldn't get the show up on the podcast page because we couldn't record the show yesterday because of uh, technical difficulties. But uh, those issues have been resolved. We are recording the show as I speak, and it'll be up on the podcast page uh, sometime later today, preferably before I go get my second COVID shot. That's right, baby. Getting vaccinated. Second shot today. I don't think I've ever uh, looked more forward to uh, feeling like crap in my life. <laughs> I'm excited to get it. I make no. I know people are skeptical. They're hesitant to get you know the vaccine. I am not one of them. I've been on board since day one. Sign me up. Let's go. So I'm excited. To get a needle stuck in my arm today. But I'm also a bit worried because I've heard I've heard things. 
I've heard uh, people's adverse reactions to the uh, the vaccine, the second shot. So I don't know what's in store for me. I don't. But I'm just happy to get it over with. So we'll see what happens. All right. Uh, let's kick off today's show as we kick off every show of the Rock Around the Region. I want to rock! And we start with boys high school basketball where Trevor Sardo had 14 points to lead Hampshire over Frankfurt 60-41 in Romney. Uh, Makai Anderson, Alex Hott, and Carter Smith each had nine points for the Trojans. Uh, Brock Robinette had ten points for Frankfurt. Bryson Dobbenmeyer had nine. Elsewhere on senior night in Kaiser, uh, Golden Tornado senior Derek Broadwater went for 22 points and 10 rebounds as KHS beat Petersburg 45-39. Pendleton County stayed unbeaten with a 62-41 win over Harmon, and Martinsburg outlasted Jefferson 87-81. The Moorfield-Pocahontas County game scheduled for last night has been moved uh, to tonight. On the girls' side, Elkins beat Liberty Harrison 52-36 in the AAA Region 2 Section 2 playoffs. The Tigers will play at top-seeded Lewis County tomorrow for the section title. Tonight in the section playoffs, and we'll preview all this stuff more later in the show. In Quad A, Hedgesville is at Spring Mills, and Washington is at Musselman. In AAA, Berkeley Springs is at Kaiser. In Double A, Petersburg is hosting Moorfield, and in Class A, East Hardy is at Union. In Major League Baseball, Juan Soto had three hits and an RBI as the Nationals beat the Cardinals five-two in St. Louis. The Nats almost back to full strength now. Josh Bell, Kyle Schwarber, and Josh Harrison back in Washington's lineup last night after they all missed the first six games of the season after that COVID outbreak uh, within the organization. Elsewhere, Hugh Darvish allowed three hits over seven innings as the Padres beat the Pirates 6-2 at PNC Park. Phillip Evans, one of the bright spots for the Pirates so far this season. He had two hits and an RBI for Pittsburgh. He is now hitting over 400 uh, so far in the young season. And the series opener between the Mariners and Orioles at Camden was rained out. It will be made up as part of a doubleheader today, beginning at 4.05. In the NBA, the Wizards were out west last night trying to crash Utah's house party. Westbrook off the Gafford screen. Now he floats it up for Gafford. Slam! Two ends! Exclamation mark! 119-110. Was it? The goodnight kiss... And that's the whole theory with Gafford. Just throw it up there. He'll get it down. The call on Federal News Radio. Russell Westbrook messed around and got another triple-double. 25 points, 14 rebounds, 14 assists. To lead Washington over the Jazz, 125-121. Bradley Beal had 34 points for the Wizards, who snapped Utah's franchise record 24-game home win streak. And in the NHL, the Capitals and Red Wings pulled off a deal before yesterday's trade deadline. Washington gets winger Anthony Mantha in exchange for Jacob Vrana, Richard Ponick, a 2021 first-round pick, and a second-rounder 
in 2022. And that is uh, your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. All right, so usually after uh, the Frankfurt boys play, I give a little analysis, a post-game analysis, because I am there, again, on the bench for those games. And uh, Falcons lost last night at Hampshire 60-41. to And bottom line is this. You score 41 points. You ain't beating anybody. And that's it. That's my analysis. That's <laughs> that's about as cut and dry and simple as I can put it. You're not winning many games scoring 41 points. I will say this, though. Hampshire, that's a really good basketball team. Coach Alkire, Danny Alkire, has done a great job out there. That is a solid basketball team. They're quick. They're long. They're athletic. They can, they can shoot. My goodness. I tell you what, between the JV game and the varsity game, I bet you they made 15 three-pointers. I mean, they were shooting. Both teams just shooting the lights out. It was impressive. I mentioned that Alex Hot had nine points in the varsity game off of three three-pointers. They can shoot the ball. They can go inside. Uh, the Hicks kid, number 45, tall, long, athletic. I think he had three or four offensive rebounds in the first quarter alone. And then the other big, uh, what's his name? Number 11. I got to remember. I got it right in front of me. Hold on. Number 11. What is his name? Zach Hill, big fella for Hampshire. He compliments Hicks very well inside. Good post moves. That Hampshire's one of those teams that I would not want to face in the playoffs because they're going to give teams fits because they have the good inside-out game because if you try to pack it inside and take uh, the big fellows you know, out of the post, then they're going to kill you with, with Sardo and Keckley and, and Carter Smith, and they're going to kill you from beyond the arc. But if you extend yourself – to try to take that part of the game away, then they're going to hammer you inside. Good, de- They hustle. They're, they're aggressive. Man, they get after it. That's the one thing, one of the many things that stood out last night is that defensively, they get after it. They are aggressive. They are in your shorts. Trapping everything. Hard hedges on screens. Hampshire, I was impressed by Hampshire. So when I say that Frankfurt scored 41, a lot of that goes, a lot of that credit goes to Hampshire because they can play. And I think maybe that was their 10th win of the season. Is that right? Something like that? So uh, Danny Alkire doing a great job out there uh, in Romney. I mentioned there in the Rock Around the Region, boy, my, vo- my voice is uh, a little rough today. Can you tell? <clears throat> Allergies flaring up. I mentioned in the Rock Around the Region, uh, the NHL's trade deadline was yesterday. And as we talked about it yesterday, yesterday morning, it is usually one of the busiest deadlines of all the major sports. And it was no different. There were 17 trades pulled off yesterday. And one of the biggest went down between Washington and Detroit. 
The Capitals, uh, they got winger Anthony Mantha from the Wings in exchange for, quite frankly, a lot. Jacob Vrana, Richard Ponick, a first-round pick in 2021, and a second-round pick in 2022. Now, Mantha is only 26 years old, and he was Detroit's first-round pick back in 2013. And he just signed a four-year extension with Detroit last season. This season, the numbers really don't jump off the page, really. He has 11 goals and uh, 10 assists. That's 21 points in 42 games. So that's only, what is it, half a point a game? He's also a minus 14 on the year. And if you're not a hockey person and you don't know, I always want to explain this about how a plus-minus works. And it's really quite simple. If you're on the ice when your team scores a goal, you get a plus. If you're on the ice when the other team scores a goal, you get a minus. So he's a minus 14 on the year. And the numbers really don't jive when you consider that Verona is a year younger than Mantha. He's 25, and he's having a better season. He has just as many goals, 11, and four more assists and three fewer games. And, oh, by the way, he's a plus nine. And I saw on ESPN's hockey page, they call it a blockbuster deal. Capitals get Mantha in a blockbuster deal. I looked at it, and I was like, really? I mean, I know there are a lot of uh, pieces and parts being exchanged, but I wouldn't call it a blockbuster deal. Again, Mantha is a solid young player. So is Vrana. And I think basically what you had here was two trades in one. You essentially have the Capitals getting Mantha in exchange for Vrana and one of those draft picks. That's the first trade. Then you have the Caps sending Ponick and the other draft pick I think just to get Ponick's contract out of Washington. They basically paid Detroit to take Ponick because the Capitals, like most teams this season, are up against the salary cap. The Caps are cap-strapped. And they placed Ponick on waivers last Wednesday after he was scratched in three of the previous five games. Nobody claimed him. So the Capitals were still stuck with him, and they had to dump him. And he was in his second year of a four-year deal that carried a cap hit of 2.75 mil. So if you look at the trade as a whole, you think, man, the Capitals gave up way too much. That that They got fleeced. The Red Wings fleeced the Capitals if you look at it as just one player in exchange for two players and two traffic. But you got to break it down. And if you look at it, you know, separately, it make it makes more sense. I still, I still wouldn't have traded Vrana for Mantha. I think Vrana's a better player. And I think he'll still be a better player. But the Capitals liked him. Mantha, that is, and they made the deal. What are you going to do? 
Caps also added some forward depth by getting Michael Raffle from the Flyers for a fifth-round pick in uh, 2021. Now, Washington wasn't the only uh, team in the East, the highly competitive East Division, uh, busy at the deadline. The Islanders, Penguins, and Bruins all made moves as that race is really tightening up, heading down the home stretch towards the playoffs. Here's ESPN's Emily Kaplan. For me, it was all about what an arms race this East is becoming. I was just texting with a player in that division, and he was like, seems like everyone's going for it, eh? And it really does. I mean, it starts with the Bruins. Yes, they got Taylor Hall, also forward Curtis Lazar. If you don't know him, look him up. He already ate a hamburger on the ice once, so uh, I think he's going to appeal himself to Bruins fans. And depth defense with Mike Riley, and they didn't have to give up so much. I was told that the Sabres didn't get any offers for first-round picks for Taylor Hall, and that's why the Pack she got sent over was just for a second. The Islanders get Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac from the Devils. Both of them at leadership and scoring. They've been missing from Anders Lee. You've got the Penguins. All they've been decimated by center depth. They go out and they get Jeff Carter, a well-known center from the Kings. And finally, the Washington Capitals stunned us all at 3 p. Massive deal to get Anthony Mantha from the Red Wings. They gave up a lot. Jacob Vrana, a first-round pick, a second-round pick. Richard Panic, but everyone's going for it, eh? Everybody's going for it, and my quick analysis, the Bruins got better, the Penguins got better, marginally. I mean, Jeff Carter isn't an earth-shattering acquisition, but they need that center depth. But they got better. The Islanders definitely got better. I don't think the Capitals did. I don't think the Caps got better. It could be a lateral move. If you want to look at Vrana for Mantha straight up, again, they're both young. One's 25, one's 26. The numbers are comparable. So it could be a lateral move for the Caps. I don't think it really set them back all that much. They, they probably, I mean, they saved some salary cap space. But they didn't get better. Even with the addition of Raffle, they didn't get better. The other three teams got better. The Islanders got much better. The Bruins, I think, got a lot better. The Penguins, marginally. So we'll see how it shakes out. There's only a couple weeks left in the regular season. Heading down the home stretch, baby. Uh, Right now, Caps and Islanders tied for first in the East, each with 58 points. The Penguins, right behind them at 56, and then the Bruins with 48. Uh, Boston, by the way, hosting the last place Sabres tonight. The Caps hosting the Flyers. And uh, by the way, catch that game right here on Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Pre-game 645, puck drop at 7 o'clock. The race for the cup is on, baby. Oh, it's one of the best times of the year. Stanley Cup playoffs. All right, time for a break. When we come back, a longtime Patriot calls it quits. Is he a Hall of Famer? We'll talk about that next. Stick around, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. I'm going to switch gears to the NFL now, where a longtime Patriots wide receiver Julian Edelman announced his retirement yesterday at the age of 34, ending his 12-year career with New England. Edelman helped the Patriots win three Super Bowl titles, and he was MVP of Super Bowl 53. 
Edelman announced his retirement, uh, as a lot of players do these days, through a video he posted on the socials. Nothing in my career has ever come easy. And no surprise, this isn't going to be easy either. Now, I've always said, I'm going to go until the wheels come off. And uh, they finally have fallen off. Due to an injury last year, I'll be making my official announcement of my retirement from football. It was a hard decision, but the right decision for me and my family. And I'm honored and so proud to be retiring a Patriot. There are a million people I have to thank. Mr. Kraft, the Kraft family, learned so much from you guys on and off the field. Coach Belichick, giving me the opportunity. I always love you for that. My teammates have gone to war. We've lost some, we've won some. You guys will always be my brothers. To all my coaches that I played under, I appreciate all your insight, all your hard work, all your knowledge. To the entire Patriots organization, from the meal ladies, to the people that clean up after us, to the people in the hallways, the training staff, the strength staff. We share so many awesome memories that I'll never forget. And of course, my family. You guys have always had my back. It's been the best 12 years of my life. It's a hell of a run. And I can't forget you, Patriot Nation. You guys have welcomed me and my family to a region we do not know, we didn't know. But now, I'm one of you. I'm gonna leave you guys with two words. Foxborough, forever. Now, before Edelman announced uh, that retirement yesterday, news came out that the Patriots terminated his contract, which led some folks to believe that you know he might be going elsewhere, that the Patriots are done with him, and that he was signed somewhere else. But uh, that was just a technicality as part of Edelman's retirement. Uh, you heard him mention the injury last year. He played in just six games because of the injury, which was really the main reason why he's calling the quits. Here's Adam Schefter. His knees had been deteriorating, and the fact of the matter is New England knew it couldn't count on Julian Edelman going forward, much the way it couldn't count on him last season when he missed time with the knee injuries that held him back. And so earlier Monday, Julian Edelman officially announced his retirement from the game. When people saw that the Patriots had terminated his contract and it appeared on the NFL's waiver wire, at that point in time, people assumed, well, maybe he's going to Tampa like everybody else to go play <laughs> with Tom Brady. But the fact of the matter is, Julian Edelman was not going to do that. He was calling it a career, one of the great careers, a man who symbolized the toughness of his city, a man that had the second most catches and receiving yards in NFL postseason history, a man who made some of the most memorable catches we've seen on the postseason stage, had called it a career, and he did because the fact of the matter is it would have been very difficult for him to go on with the physical condition of his knees. Now, as you heard Shefty just say there, Edelman ranks second in NFL history with 118 postseason receptions behind Jerry Rice's uh, 151. 
He had six playoff games with at least 100 yards receiving, which is second all-time, tied with Michael Irvin and two behind Jerry Rice. He is second on the Patriots' all-time receiving list with 620, behind Wes Welker's 672, and he is fourth on the team's uh, all-time yardage list. Certainly, a solid career for a guy who was a seventh-round draft pick in the 2009 draft. He was taken 232nd overall. And, by the way, he was a quarterback when he played at Kent State. And undoubtedly, clutch guy in the playoffs. Now, it is worth mentioning he had some guy named Brady uh, throwing him the football, which kind of helps. But when a guy like Edelman retires, the question ultimately comes up, and it doesn't take very long for it to come up. Is he a Hall of Famer? No. <laughs> no, let's, let's cut right to the chase. Let's not beat around the borscht. Let's not try to take the scenic route. He's not a Hall of Famer. And it's not even close. You're going to have some people who are going to try to pump up his numbers because he was a Patriot. And yes, he was part of three title teams. And yes, we talked about some of his playoff numbers, but you'll, you'll have some folks who will really try to convince you that he's a Hall of Famer. Fantastic postseason numbers for sure. But when you look at his career numbers, it's really not even worth a discussion. And Ryan Clark put it best on Twitter yesterday. I love this. He said, quote, For all my colleagues... Do not ask me if Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer when I work on Wednesday. Ask me if he's a great story. Has he come up clutch in some big playoff moments? Hell, even had a great career. Don't start the Hall of Fame talk, though. Let me say nice things, end quote. And, of course, Patriots fans, you know, they went after Clark, called him a Patriots hater, blah, blah, blah. Clark is he's spot on. Edelman is a great story. I mentioned seventh round draft pick, right? Two hundred thirty second pick overall. A quarterback in college turned receiver in the pros. Good, great postseason numbers, but he's not a Hall of Famer. He's not one of the all time greats, which is what the Hall of Fame should be reserved for. All you have to do is compare him to another guy who some folks think, mainly Steelers fans, should be in the Hall of Fame, and that's Heinz Ward. Ward can't even get on the finalist list. And this is how his career stacks up against Edelman's, okay? To anybody who thinks that Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer, because Ward's been on the the ballot for what, the past five years, four or five years, something like that. Career catches. I mentioned Edelman has 620. 
Heinz Ward, 1,000. That's 380 more catches over the course of his career. Yards. Julian Edelman, 6,822. Heinz Ward, 12,083. That's nearly double the yardage. Touchdowns. You ready for this one? Julian Edelman, 36. Heinz Ward, 85. Super Bowl MVPs. Heinz Ward, 1. Edelman, 1. Pro Bowls. Heinz Ward, 4. Julian Edelman, 0. It's not even close. It's not even close. Now, some people will bring up a guy like Terrell Davis whose career was indeed cut short because of injury, he's in the Hall of Fame. And I think a lot of that came on the back of his Super Bowl performances, for sure. And if you want to look at Edelman's postseason numbers, they stack up there. Call or hold on. But when you're just comparing those two receivers right there, if Heinz Ward can't even make the finalist list, With those career numbers, Edelman's not even close. Let's go to the rush line, 301-759-2628. You're up. Who's this? Dwayne, how you doing? What's up, Dwayne? Not much. Uh, Just listening to the breakdown of the Hall of Fame thing. and I mean, I kind of agree with Edelman. Um, Heinz Ward, I believe, should be it. And here's why. if you just watched his games, if you was like if, if you just look at the stats, probably not. He probably shouldn't be in. But Heinz Ward just was a beast. <laughs> like he was he was like knocking dudes out right, as a right. wide receiver right. on blocks. I mean, if if they just go by stats and like whoever has stats is in the Hall of Fame and whoever doesn't have stats isn't, right. then there's no offensive lineman. There's, <laughs> right. there's, you know, there's there's not many tight ends because they're, they're blockers too. So I think that uh, Heinz Ward should definitely be in. I think um, I think they have, have to have like a certain class in the Hall of Fame, like BM efforts, you know, just like just really <laughs> bad dudes. Right, and, right. And they they need to have that separate thing, or or like just complete playmakers. Because Edelman is one of those as well. Like it's just he just pulls something you know from somewhere right. and makes a play. But that what, what was it? I don't know if it was in the Super Bowl. Do you remember that catch? That, like it bounced off of sixteen different people and he caught it with his leg. That was that was against the Falcons when they were, they were down twenty eight to three. He's part of that yeah. comeback. Yeah. I mean, just just that play and 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 like all of the other little things that he put in there. I'm I'm not going to be upset if he's put in. I'm not going to be upset if he's if he's not. Right. But uh, I think Heinz Ward's got a little bit better case. But I think both of them kind of have a case. Like like you you mentioned, uh, TD Terrell Davis. He he got his his um, career cut short, and even though. You know, he he was just a beast. You know, you look at his stats, and it wasn't like jumping off the page. Right. He's not like in the top. I don't, I don't even think he's in the top ten of rushers. 
you know, um, I'm a Broncos fan. Sure. I don't even know that. But uh, you can just tell by players. Like, Gale Sayers is another one. Gale Sayers got his career cut short. Right. And he was just – he was a monster. So, um, I, I, I think that maybe, like, later on down the line, like maybe 15, 20 years down the line, there might be a spot for him and Ward. But uh, I just don't think they're, like, first ballot. Oh, know, no, no, for sure. Yeah. So they're they're both excellent players though. Yeah, no so, doubt. No and then they all like you said, they all kind of carved their niche. Yeah, yeah. Like Edelman was like that little squirrely guy that just irritated a defensive coordinator like nobody's business. And then Heinz Ward was like they every safety on that field had their head on a swivel when Heinz Ward was on the field. So, you know, it it was they they both brought their own game, their toughness, their you know, so I, I wouldn't be upset either way if you know if they didn't get in if they, because you know there's so many people getting in anymore right, right. you know but you know I I think that if if you look down the list of all of the people that are in Hall of Fame I think they fit in with Hall of Fame right. that's my opinion very yeah. good so, all right all right, all right Dwayne have a good one thanks for the call okay. brother have a good one man three zero one seven five nine two six two eight Dwayne checking in. I don't disagree with anything you said there. And Ward was a uh, a different kind of receiver, was he not? He, he's, I, I tried to make the case for Heinz Ward before. And he is regarded by a lot of folks as the greatest blocking receiver ever. And I think whenever you are considered the greatest of something, that 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 should carry some weight, right? Even if you're the if you're the greatest kicker of all time, that should be hall of it's just the hall of fame. And 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 Dwayne was right when he said that it shouldn't all just be about numbers. It's not the hall of numbers. It's not the hall of stats. It's the hall of fame. So if you are considered the greatest of something within a sport. That should carry. If you look at Heinz Ward's stats alone, they stack. Hey, a thousand catches, not too bad. Eighty-five touchdowns. Not they're not shabby at all. But then, whenever you throw in that he is considered by many to be the greatest blocking receiver in the history of the league, that should be the de- determining factor. That should be the thing that kind of tips the scale in Heinz Ward's favor to get into a Hall of Fame. Look at a guy like Edelman. Again, stats aren't great overall in his 12-year career. But if you want to make a case for him, which some people will, they'll look at his performances in the playoffs. Again, second most playoff receptions ever. Second most playoff yardage ever. Receiving yardage. Behind Jerry Rice. If you want to make a case for Edelman, point to that and say, look how great he was in the postseason. One of the greatest postseason performers of all time. I, I could buy that. Overall, though, I'm not, I'm, st- I'm not sold. It'll take some time for sure. All right, one last break. Back to wrap up hour number one. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. 
That's the letter C, not the word. Our Facebook page, at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial a dance, shamo. 301-759-2628. And our podcast page, on the free Podbean app, where we upload every show every day minus commercials. In case you missed something, go back and check it out. For instance, if you missed the first hour of the show, we talked about uh, the NHL, the Capitals, at the deadline, pulling off a pretty big trade with Detroit, which we'll talk about here in just a bit. We talked about the retirement of Julian Edelman from the Patriots after a 12-year career in New England. And, of course, the subsequent, the subsequent, what's the word? Subsequent? Uh, how about following? Question. <laughs> Sometimes it's just better to go the easy route. The following question. Is he a Hall of Famer? And we talked about it. We compared some numbers. We compared him to Heinz Ward. Uh, Dwayne called in and made a pretty good strong case for both of them, especially Heinz Ward, and I agree with him. And I uh, want to get your input on that as well because we're not done with that topic yet. So at ESPN Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C on Twitter, drop me a line. On Facebook, at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. And your calls, 301-759-2628. All right. Let's, uh, one more time this morning, rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start with boys high school basketball, where Trevor Sardo had 14 points to lead Hampshire over Frankfurt, 60-41 to in Romney. Makai Anderson, Alex Hott, and Carter Smith each had nine points for the Trojans. Brock Robinette had 10 for Frankfurt. Bryston Dobbemeyer uh, had nine. Elsewhere, on senior night in Kaiser, Golden Tornado senior Derek Broadwater went for 22 points and 10 rebounds as Kaiser beat Petersburg 45-39. Pendleton County stayed unbeaten with a 62-41 win over Harmon. And Martinsburg outlasted Jefferson 87-81. The Moorefield-Pocahontas County game, scheduled for last night, was moved to tonight. On the girls' side, Elkins beat Liberty Harrison 52-36 in the AAA Region 2 Section 2 playoffs. Tigers will play at top-seeded Lewis County tomorrow. Tonight in section playoff action in Quad A, Hedgesville is at Spring Mills. Washington is at Musselman. In AAA, Berkeley Springs is at Kaiser. In AA, Petersburg is hosting Moorfield. And in Class A, East Hardy is at Union. And we'll break down uh, all this stuff a little bit later on here uh, in the hour. In Major League Baseball, Juan Soto had three hits and an RBI as the Nationals beat the Cardinals 5-2 in St. Louis. Nationals almost back to full strength. Josh Bell, Kyle Schwarber, Josh Harrison, all back in Washington's lineup last night after they missed the first six games of the season after that COVID outbreak uh, within the team. Elsewhere, Hugh Darvish allowed three hits over seven innings as the Padres beat the Pirates 6-2 at PNC Park. Phillip Evans continues to swing a hot bat for the Bucs, one of the very few bright spots early on. He had two hits and an RBI 
Uh, he is now batting over 400 on the young season. And the series opener between the Mariners and Orioles at Camden Yards rained out last night. It'll be made up today as part of a doubleheader beginning at 4.05. In the NBA, the Wizards were out west trying to crash Utah's house party. Westbrook off the Gafford screen. Now he floats it up for Gafford. Slam! Two hands! Exclamation mark! 119-110. Was it? The goodnight kiss. And that's the whole theory with Gafford. Just throw it up there. He'll get it down. The call on Federal News Radio, Russell Westbrook, another triple-double, 25 points, 14 rebounds, 14 assists to lead Washington over the Jazz, 125-121. Bradley Beal had 34 points for the Wizards, who snapped Utah's franchise record 24-game home win streak. And in the NHL, the Capitals and Red Wings pulled off a deal before Yesterday's trade deadline, Washington gets winger Anthony Mantha from the Wings in exchange for Jacob Vrana, Richard Ponick, or Panic, depending on what side of the fence you're from, a 2021, a 2021 first-round pick, and a second-rounder in 2022. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. All right, so one uh, last thing before we put this Edelman thing to bed for the day. And again, the discussion was, uh, he retired yesterday. Is he a Hall of Famer? You look at his numbers. You compare him to a guy like Heinz Ward. The numbers don't stack up. Dwayne called in and said, well, you kind of look at it. You go beyond the numbers. Edelman and like Heinz Ward, they have a case, especially like Heinz Ward, who is considered one of the, if not the, greatest blocking wide receiver of all time. And you look at what Edelman did in the postseason. Second all-time in playoff catches. Second all-time in playoff yards, right? Three-time Super Bowl champ, one-time Super Bowl MVP. The overall numbers aren't great. And uh, NFL on CBS had this tweet saying if, I don't know why they say if, I mean, the man retired yesterday. It says, if Julian Edelman played his last down, is he a Hall of Famer? And here's their list. Three-time Super Bowl champ, I just mentioned. Super Bowl MVP. Six, now here's here's what gets you. Here's what sticks out. 6,822 receiving yards. That's 156th all-time. 30, he just, 36 touchdown catches in the regular season. That's tied for 261st on the all-time. 261. If I just give you those numbers, you're like, there's no way that cat's a Hall of Famer. None. But then somebody replied to that tweet, a guy named Josh, that says, playoff stats are what matter. Not to mention he's a slot receiver. Compare his stats to slot receivers. So Josh is saying, forget about the 36 regular season touchdowns. Forget about, you know, the low yardage in a regular It's all about playoffs. To which somebody replied, and this, to me, this might seal the deal right here. They mentioned a player, Super Bowl MVP, 11th all-time in playoff wins. 
first in road playoff wins, 12th all-time in playoff touchdown passes, broke the NFL playoff record with eight consecutive games with at least two TD passes. You know who that is? It's Joe Flacco. Is he going to the Hall of Fame? No. No, he is not. The playoff numbers are impressive. I just gave them to you. But he's not going. I don't think he's going. Do you think Joe Flacco's going to the Hall of Fame? No. I don't think you can really separate. I know, I know they do it sometimes. I know they do. But I don't, can you really separate regular season career from postseason career? Can't, don't you have to look at the entire body of work? And if you do that, Edelman's regular season body of work drags him down. Clutch, clutch guy in the playoffs, for sure. Made some memorable catches in the playoffs, for sure. Helped, you know, he helped. He helped the Patriots win three titles. Helped them. Without Tom Brady, he doesn't have one, let alone three. Let's be let's be real about it. There have been guys who have put up some really good playoff numbers who aren't in the Hall of Fame. I just gave you one in Joe Flacco. So now the more I think about it, the more I've talked about it, Julian Edelman is not a Hall of Famer. He just isn't. And as I said last hour, uh, time will tell. What do you think? Is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? 301-759-2628. You can still call in and talk about it as we move on to something else. Mainly uh, high school hoops. The uh, girls' section playoffs are underway in West Virginia. As uh, teams, I know this is later than usual. This is weird. It's bizarre. You have an overlap of all these sports because things are pushed back. The pandemic has really screwed things up. So we're we're generally not talking about teams making a push for the state tournament uh, in April. But here we are. State tournament in Charleston two weeks from now. And uh, not only is the calendar different, but things are also a bit different because of the expansion to the uh, four classes. This being the first year of the uh, two-year trial basis in West Virginia, which I've already gone on record as saying I am in favor of. I love it. I hope they keep it. Now, I'm not a big fan of the small three-team sections, but that's what happens when you expand a class and you spread teams over four classes, things get thinned out a bit. So that's just that's just fallout. But I like the four-class system. I hope they keep it. Because of the extra class, both the girls' and boys' state tournaments will start a day earlier than usual. The tournaments usually run Wednesday through Saturday. Now it'll be Tuesday through Saturday. Girls' state tournament, April 27th through May 1st. Then the boys, the week after that, May 4th through the 8th. And we have a lot of sectional games around our region tonight on the girls' side. Boys' uh, playoffs start next week. In Quad A, Region 2, Section 1, Martinsburg is the top seed in that section. Bulldogs will host the winner of tonight's semifinal 
between number three Hedgesville and number two Spring Mills, that section title game on Thursday. On the other side of that region, in section two, 10 and 0 Jefferson is a top seed. And that, you talk about a, a team that has built some success. Jefferson's JV team last year, the girls' JV team, they were 18 and 0. The varsity this year, 10 and 0. So a lot of those girls haven't lost a game in two years so far. 28 and 0. And the Cougars will host either number three Washington or number two Musselman also on Thursday. The Patriots and Appleman play tonight uh, at Musselman. With a preview of the entire uh, quad A playoff picture. Here's Metro News' Joe Bricado and Greg Carey. Joe Bricado and Greg Carey here to talk about the upcoming girls' high school basketball playoffs, which are set to begin this weekend. We'll take a look at each class. We'll take a look at the biggest surprise in the regular season, the toughest region, and our favorites to win it all. We'll start in class quad A. Who is your biggest surprise, Greg? I went with Huntington. You know, I know it probably sounds funny to hear that from veteran Lonnie Lucas coach team and all of the success that he's had with the Highlanders through the years, but... Huntington's a team that just recently lost their first game. They obviously play an extremely challenging schedule. And the way they've been able to score the ball, you know, I think with them being picked fourth in the MSAC, pre- MSAC preseason poll, they've surpassed expectations and proven themselves this year. I'm going to go with Jefferson. Unbeaten team over in the Eastern Panhandle, a 10-0 regular season. So a great season so far to this point for the Cougars. Which of the four regions is the toughest as we enter the playoffs? I'm going to go with Region 1. We obviously know that Wheeling Park and Morgantown on a statewide level are contenders. And then you look at the depth of that region, talk about the likes of University and then a Solid teams in Buckhannon, and Upshur, Preston, and Bridgeport. So I think that's a very challenging region. I'm going to take Region 4 for the reasons that you just described with Huntington, one of the favorites to win it all. A Cabell Midland team that is very strong. And then on the other side, you've got an improved Parkersburg South team and still the defending uh, state champions, at least at the Class AAA level, from Parkersburg. Who is the favorite to win Quad A? I'm going with Cabell Midland, a team that I got to see for the first time last week. But just the way that they space you offensively, I kind of trust them to be able to execute in a tight situation. I was very impressed with the Knights and their win over Morgantown. And I think just the depth that they have, having five or six different options they can rely on to make shots and shots from the perimeter. They can really spread you out, and I like the way they play together. I'm going to go with the team that they're facing in tomorrow's MSAC championship game in George Washington. Had a chance to see uh, those teams match up earlier in the year. I think GW playing some great ball. That victory over Huntington recently weighs huge. So I think GW, the early favorite in quad A. All right, so there's your quad A breakdown. More from those guys in just a bit. Moving down one class. To AAA, Hampshire, still AAA. Trojans did not move in class up or down. They are 8-6 and six on the year so far. Uh, Kaiser and Berkeley Springs did move. They both moved up from AA last year, and those three teams make up uh, Region 1, Section 2 in AAA. Hampshire, the top seed, and they will host the winner of tonight's Kaiser Berkeley game, which is at Kaiser. Berkeley Springs, only uh, one win on the year, and that was in their last game against East Hardy. That section final at Hampshire uh, will be on Friday. Other side of the region in Section 1, they have four teams, so all four must play tonight in the semifinals. With the three-team sections, the top seed automatically goes to the section championship game. When you have four teams, all four got to play. So, number one, North Marion is hosting number four, Oak Glen. Number three, Willing Central is at uh, number two, Weir. Would they look at the entire AAA playoff picture? 
Let's go back to the guys at Metro News. Joe Bricado and Greg Carey to break down the upcoming girls' high school basketball playoffs in Class AAA. We'll take a look at the biggest surprise team, the toughest region, and the favorites. So, Greg, who is your biggest surprise team in the regular season? I went with Midland Trail. Despite having a limited schedule that's featured only six games to this point, they've won them all, and they have not allowed an opponent to score over 42 points in any game so Midland Trail hoping to pick back up this weekend. It'll be their first game since March 23rd. Obviously, they kind of ha- will have to work off some of the kinks and the rust before the playoffs, but they've had an exceptional season in limited action to this point. I'm going to go with the Logan Wildcats as we record this, an 8-2 and two record and a, a rapidly improving Wildcats team. The toughest region, I think we've got some agreement on this. Yeah, I went with Region 4, and I think it's kind of hard not to. You just look at the quality of the programs from the top tier down on even into the middle level, and obviously we know the seasons that Wayne and Nitro are both having, and you start to look at the depth. You mentioned Logan. You've got St. Joe in there, which is an exceptional program, and then Lincoln County, Scott, you know, teams that are very capable at this time of the year. Yeah, we usually try to disagree during these segments, but this one uh, we are in complete agreement. When Lincoln County is a very good team, is a number four seed in their section, I think it it certainly stands out that Region 4 is the best. We may have agreement with the favorite as well. Yeah, a team we've both gotten to see several times this year. And, you know, Fairmont Seniors had some outstanding teams over the last decade, but, you know, this may be the best yet, the cream of the crop. They've got two sensational players, Marley Washnitz and Meredith Meyer, who will both be going on to the next level and playing basketball. And, you just look at the overall depth of their team, the way they're able to defend you and force turnovers. I think that they've been established as a clear-cut number one. Yeah, the Polar Bears lost some very good post players from last year, but they've reloaded, and with the returning upperclassmen that they have, I think, uh, with with all due respect to North Marion team, who's also undefeated as well, Fairmont Senior, probably the favorite at this point. Gee, go figure. Fairmont Senior, favorite to win a championship. That's uh, <laughs> never heard that before. All right, so two classes down, two to go. Uh, while Kaiser and Berkeley Springs moved up in class, Frankfurt still in double A. The Falcons are the top seed in Region 2, Section 1. Tonight in the section semifinal, number two, Petersburg, is hosting number three, Moorfield, with the winner to play Frankfurt at a neutral site on Friday. And that site, last time I checked, will be the loser of tonight's game. So if Petersburg beats Moorfield, which I think they will, then it'll be Petersburg and Frankfurt at Moorfield on Friday for the section title. Uh, Frankfurt and Petersburg actually split in the regular season. On the other side of the region, in section two, it's a four-team section. So again, all four play in the semifinals tonight. Number one, Trinity, who Frankfurt just beat on Saturday, will host number four, Notre Dame, and Braxton County is hosting South Harrison in the 2-3 game. Let's go back to the guys at Metro News where they look at the double-A playoff picture and they give some love to a, a few teams in our area. Joe Bricado and Greg Carey here to discuss the upcoming girls' basketball playoffs in Class AA. We'll take a look at the biggest surprise team in the regular season, the toughest region as we enter the playoffs, and also the favorite. So, Greg, who is the biggest surprise for you? I went with Petersburg. You look at a team that's compiled an 11-1 and record against as daunting of a schedule as what they've played, split with an outstanding Frankfurt team that you got to recently see, and then 
Obviously, when you look at wins over Kaiser and a very established Tucker County program, I think Petersburg has proven itself and had an extremely good season. We are very much in the same neighborhood because I'm going to go with Frankfurt, a team that I got to see uh, defeating Trinity the other night. And a Frankfurt team that had some heavy graduation losses uh, but has reloaded quickly and uh, with a 1,000-point score now and Marie Purdue, certainly a squad to keep an eye on as we get into the playoffs. Your toughest region. Went with Region 3, uh, namely you look at a team like Summers County not being a top seed in their section and obviously having to go through Wyoming East, which has had a really good season. And then on the flip side of that region, you've got program like Mingo Central, upstart, and I think there's quality depth there, and that's a region that could shake out a number of ways. I'm going to go with Region 1. There's only six teams in the region, but there's a lot of quality there in St. Mary's, Ritchie County, Parkersburg Catholic, who's won 40 consecutive games, Williamstown, and also a Maddie Winters player from Magnolia who put 50 points up in a game earlier this year. Who is your favorite? Went with Parkersburg Catholic, uh, you know, an established program over the last five seasons or so, and a team that returned two of its top three standouts from what they had had in an outstanding squad a year ago. You look at Aaliyah Brunny and Leslie Huffman both, and those are kind of the key cogs of a team. Just the way they get after it defensively, I like what Marty Vierheller's really built there. Again, we try to disagree with a lot of these segments. It's really, really difficult to say that the Crusaderettes are not the favorite. I mean, they haven't lost all year, didn't lose last year, so uh, we're going to say Parkersburg Catholic is the favorite for now in Class AA. So there you go. And uh, don't be surprised if, and I don't know, I might sound like a homer here, don't be surprised if Frankfurt and Petersburg both go to the state tournament. Because, remember, all you got to do is make it to the section title game. And then you automatically qualify for a region co-final. We've gone through this before. But just in case you don't know. So let's just say Petersburg beats Moorfield tonight. So it'll be Frankfurt-Petersburg for the section title on Friday. The winner of that game hosts the loser of the other section title game. All right? And then the loser goes on the road to face the winner of the other other section title game. It would not shock me at all if Frankfurt and Petersburg, the girls, both won their region co-finals and both went on to the state tournament. Would not shock me at all. I think both are that good this season. And if Petersburg gets past Moorfield tonight, it'll be it'll make for a hell of a section title game uh, on Friday for sure. And finally, we go to Class A, Region 2, Section 1, Tucker County. Shocker here. The top seed and a shocker, once again, the favorite to get back to Charleston. Mountain Lions looking for their 18th straight trip to the state tournament. And they uh, wait on the winner of tonight's game between East Hardy and Union. That game is at Union. Uh, They are the second seed. The section title game Thursday at Tucker. Other side of the region in Section 2, Pendleton County is the uh, top seed. They will host the section title game on Friday against either uh, number 3 Pocahontas County or number 2 Tigers Valley. That semifinal is tonight. One final time. Let's go to Metro News for a look at the Class A playoff field. Joe Bricado and Greg Carey here to take a look at the upcoming girls' high school basketball playoffs in Class A. We'll take a look at the biggest surprise team in the regular season, the toughest of the four regions, and also the favorite to win it all. Greg, who is your biggest surprise? Went with Riverview, a team that won 12 of its 14 regular season games. And although maybe they didn't play the toughest schedule, when they did play the teams that 
would be regarded as you know contenders or top level on their schedule. They fared well. They gave Tug Valley a tough game, and obviously Tug Valley is a contender in Class A, and then avenged an earlier season loss with Tulsa by beating them in the regular season finale. I like the way they're playing ahead of the playoffs. You go south, I go north up to Cameron for a 14-1 and Dragon team, a team that got to the regional round a year ago, but uh, has been very, very impressive, only had one loss, and it was not in class. So I'm saying the Cameron Dragons, the biggest surprise to this point, the toughest region, Greg. I went with Region 4. Uh, you look at Tug Valley and Gilmer County as the two standout teams and perhaps the two top class cont- class A contenders in all the state. But then a region that also doesn't lack depth. You've got teams like Tulsa and Sherman that are capable on any night. I think uh, we have agreement on this one. Yeah, for, for all the reasons you said, you got to see Calhoun County the other night take on Ritchie County. Gilmer County has been the number one team uh, for uh, the majority of the year in the Associated Press Bowl and got to see Tug Valley with a, two victories over uh, Gilmer County so far this year. So very, very difficult region there. And your favorite in the Class A bracket. I'm staying in the south and going with Tug Valley. I have a lot of respect for both Gilmer County and Tucker County. Would not be surprised to see either team cut the nets down when all is said and done. But just like the way that Tug Valley's played down the stretch, I feel like they've done a very good job preparing themselves for tournament-style play with a challenging schedule. And obviously the victories over Gilmer County speak volumes. Yeah, I think certainly Tucker County's in the mix. Had a chance to see Gilmer County and Tug Valley. But I'm actually going to stay with my surprise team and go with Cameron. I think there's a lot of good pieces. And the addition of freshman Ashlyn Van Tassel for Cameron really makes them a good contender. I know they're a team that may not be on the radar of a lot of people at this point, but uh, certainly a team that probably has some staying power at the state tournament level. So there you go, a breakdown, a preview, a look at the girls' playoff field and all four now, not three, four classifications. And, of course, we'll look at the four classes in the boys' playoffs when they get underway uh, next week. All right, uh, time for a break. News and weather coming up. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Getting my second vaccine shot today. My second vaccination. Is it my second vaccination or is it the second part of just one vaccination? I'm not quite sure. I've never looked uh, so forward to feeling like so bad in my life. Because I know I'm going to feel like crap. I know I am. Like I don't see any way around it. There are a very few people I've talked to who got the COVID vaccine who didn't have any kind of, you know, ill effects after the second shot. Most people, I know my wife, she was just like uh, dead tired the next day. She took like 87 naps. All right, that's an exaggeration, but you get the point. Some people got the aches and the chills and the whole, you know. I don't see how I escaped that, especially in my condition. But I'm looking forward to it nonetheless. I know there are people I, I, people in my family who, who refuse to take it. And look, if you don't want to take it, all right. It's your life, man. You do you. You do what you got to do. I would personally recommend it. I would hope that more people would get it. But if you have your apprehensions, all right, whatever. You know, but I have some family members who, you know, the argument is, well, you don't know how that's going to affect you five, ten years down the road. 
I don't know how nothing is going to affect me five, ten years down the road. Why am I going to worry about that now? Seriously. <laughs> I might not be around five, ten years down the road to even have to worry about it. Like, that that whole thought process, I don't understand at all. Well, this vaccine could have adverse effects five, ten years down the road. Well, guess what? So could a massive asteroid crashing into Earth and killing us all. We don't know. There are a lot of things out there in this world that can have an adverse effect on me five to ten years down the road. Truth of the matter is, we don't know when we're going to go. We don't know when our time's up. I'm certainly not going to worry about it now, something that may or may not happen five, ten years down the road. I'm not living my life that way. If you want to, knock yourself out. It ain't happening with me. I have no idea what tomorrow's show is going to be like. If this second shot hits me, like it's hit a lot of people, I don't know. But we'll see. <laughs> it could make for a very interesting show. And we were talking high school hoops last segment, uh, breaking down the playoff of fields in all four classes. The girls' playoffs underway in West Virginia. And we'll preview the boys next week. Uh, yesterday... The latest Associated Press polls came out, and it would be, what, the final regular season poll for the girls, right? And the second to last uh, regular season poll for the boys. And we'll start with the uh, girls, since it was the final uh, regular season poll. In Quad A, not too much representation uh, from the panhandle. You had Jefferson, Martinsburg, and Preston all getting the, uh, you know, the others receiving votes category. Uh, in AAA, looking down the list, Kaiser received votes. That, that's it. In AA, Frankfurt, number four in the state, according to the Associated Press. Petersburg at number six. And again, those two teams, I, I do believe, on a collision course uh, for the section title on Friday. And then in Class A, Tucker County, no surprise here, they are ranked second in the latest AP poll in Class A. And then uh, that's it. Looking at the boys' poll in Quad A, Musselman and Jefferson received some votes. And you got Martinsburg checking in at number five. In Triple A, I'm trying to read the list here. They put it together just, just, just awful. How do they, why do they do it this way? They put it in paragraph form and not list form, right? Usually, you look at a poll, like the college football poll, it goes top to bottom, like 1 through 25. They put this in paragraph form. Very annoying. But in boys' AAA, Hampshire got some votes uh, for the top 10 in the AP. I told you earlier, when I talked about last night's game against Frankfurt, Hampshire, they got a solid team out there. Very, I wouldn't want to play them in the playoffs. I really wouldn't. Uh, in double A, I'm trying to look at some local representation. Uh, there is absolutely uh, none. <laughs> and then in class A, uh, undefeated Pendleton County is number three. And Tucker County is tied for ninth with Cameron. So there you go. Those are the latest AP uh, high school basketball polls uh, in West Virginia. All right, let's uh, switch gears real quick. Uh, back to the NFL, we talked earlier about Julian Edelman retiring. Uh, is he a Hall of Famer? Is he not? 
He puts a wrap on his career. Another guy who's trying to get his career started, trying to get it going in New York with the Jets, is Sam Darnold. Of course, he's no longer there. The Jets traded him uh, to Carolina. And yesterday, uh, Darnold uh, sat down in an interview and talked about how tough it was to sit there and kind of just, you know, not feel wanted uh, by the Jets. I think for me, it's anytime, you know, you go somewhere and you set, like I said before, you set lofty goals um, and those goals aren't met. Um, that's always tough for me. Um, you know, when when I heard the news that they wanted to trade me, um, it was tough. You know, anytime you, you're not wanted somewhere, that's always, you know, a tough pill to swallow. Um, but then it was the opposite feeling. You know, you go from being unwanted and then all of a sudden, you know, the people in Carolina, you know, wanted me and obviously traded for me. And you go from being unwanted to wanted. And, you know, I think that was um, just, you know, when the trade went down, um, you know, obviously, like I said, things didn't work out the way that I wanted in New York. But I was just so excited for, a, you know, a fresh start and new opportunity. So um, it was bittersweet. Um, but meeting the people, like I, like I keep saying, I mean, meeting the people around here and, and getting to know everyone and, um, you know, what the agenda is around here, it's, um, I'm just very thrilled and excited to, to get going. So he goes from not feeling wanted in New York to feeling wanted in Carolina. Now, how long that feeling is going to last might depend on who the Panthers take <laughs> in the draft, which is two weeks from Thursday. Because Carolina has the eighth overall pick. And head coach Matt Rule uh, does not rule out any player uh, in this year's draft. Sam Darnold's a player that, that that we like a lot. You know, we liked a lot of, as we studied him. Um, I think it's our job each and every year to study every player that's, you know, possibly going to be traded, that gets cut, that's a free agent, you know, so as we did those things, um, you know, uh, some of us in the organization saw things in Sam that we really liked. And so um, this was a move to acquire a young player at 23, 24 years old who we think has a ton of talent. So their job is to study all players, free agency, draft, people who are cut, through trade, whatever. With that eighth pick, look, this is a quarterback-heavy draft this year. And Adam Schefter kind of poses a question here. Could the Panthers, even after getting Sam Darnold from the Jets, could they possibly take a quarterback in this year's draft? Matt Rule himself said that they would not rule out taking a quarterback at that slot. Doesn't mean they will, but the acquisition of Sam Darnold gives them options. And so if there's a quarterback there, when their turn rolls around two weeks from now, then they could go quarterback at that slot. If not, if there's a player that slips to them that they really like, nothing wrong with that as well. But they're sitting there at that slot, number eight. They'll have the option and the ability to go with the proverbial best player available because they've got a quarterback on the roster that they really like. Keep in mind, Matt Rule interviewed for the Jets job, did a lot of work on Sam Darnold. The Panthers GM, Scott Fitterer, interviewed for the Jets job, did a lot of work on Sam Darnold. They know what they're getting, and now they can do the best player available. Mike Tannenbaum, who is ESPN's uh, front office insider, who, oddly enough, uh, worked for the Jets in their front office. 
He says uh, you could never have enough quarterbacks. You can't have enough good young quarterbacks, and I think Justin Fields has a chance to be really good. We'll get into that more in a minute here. But when you're building a team, Greeny, and you have Sam Darnold on a two-year deal at reasonable money, $23.6 million over two years, and you could add a great young talent like Justin Fields, you want to operate from a position of strength at the quarterback position. We don't know how Sam Darnold is going to turn out. It's been inconsistent at best so far as an NFL player. And if he plays well or Justin Fields plays well, the other one becomes expendable. And if we spin this story forward, Greeny, next year there's a lot of uncertainty about quarterbacks coming out. So if I'm Carolina, let's turn the most important position from a weakness to a strength and add to it. So first of all, uh, Darnold was inconsistent with the Jets because he was with the Jets. Nobody is consistent with the Jets unless you consider that they are consistently bad. Nobody can thrive and succeed with the Jets. That's why Mike Tannenbaum is sitting in ESPN and not still with the Jets. Nobody is consistent with the Jets. So you're going to tell me that the Panthers are going to make a trade to get Darnold from the Jets and then draft a quarterback on top of it, and all of a sudden you have a quarterback competition heading into camp? That's just stupid. And he mentions the fact that next year's quarterback class is thin. So you're trying to tell me that the Panthers are only going to give Darnold one year? Like, you got one year to do something or else we're looking somewhere else? Like, they better take Justin Fields this year because next year's quarterback class is weak as if Darnold is going to get, like, one chance and that's it. How about a couple years? You sign him to a two-year deal. I just don't like the idea of trading for one dude and then drafting another. I don't like it. If you have more needs, which looks Carolina's drafting eighth for a reason. If you have more needs than a court, you got Darnold, take your chances there. You obviously like him. You traded for him for a reason. Fill other holes in your roster. I think the Panthers would be dumb to take a quarterback at number eight. We'll see what happens. You heard Schefter say they might be in a position now to take the best player available, that's what I would do. Unless it was a quarterback. I'm not taking a quarterback. Not after trading for another one. Not doing it. All right, one last break, and then we'll back to uh, be back, whatever, to wrap things up here on the Morning Rush. Stick around. This is the Morning Rush. Let's check on the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about this guy right here? Dribble drive. Curry goes in, drives the layup. It's up and good. And there he is, Stephen Curry. Now the all-time leading scorer in Warriors franchise history. He shines brighter than the Big Dipper as he passes Wilt Chamberlain into history. The call on 95-7, the game, Golden State, Steph Curry. Dropped 53 points to lead the Warriors over the Nuggets 116-107 in Oaktown and in the process. Became the franchise's all-time leading scorer. 
Uh, Curry uh, scored on a layup. Uh, you just heard the clip. With 140 left in the first quarter to pass Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, Chamberlain's team record of 17,783 points. Curry now sits at 17,818. So Steph Curry, for not only <laughs> dropping half a hundo on Denver, but also becoming the Warriors' all-time leading scorer, the player who delivered brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Hey, Nats fans. Baseball is back at Nats Park. I got to read this. Uh, if you're heading to the ballpark this year, of course, uh, limited number of fans allowed. We know you got some questions, right? For information on all things health, safety, ticketing, you name it, visit nationals.com slash welcome home. That's nationals.com slash welcome home. We'll have the Nats back on uh, tomorrow. Tonight we got Capitals Hockey, the Caps, hosting the Bruins. Pre-game 645, uh, puck drop at 7 o'clock. I see here on Twitter that they, uh, a three-star running back at Pitt is no longer at Pitt. <laughs> uh, oh, I see. Okay, I see here. I, all I saw was the transfer portal. It says a three-star running back Malik Newton from uh, Norfolk, Virginia, has entered the transfer portal after recently being medically disqualified from playing at Pitt. Don't know what the uh, disqualification's all about. But uh, he's gone. He's back on the open market into the portal, as so many players have gone here uh, recently. What did we say the other day? Like a, a thousand names in the transfer portal? It's ridiculous. Uh, speaking of which, and speaking of Pitt, I saw that uh, Xavier Johnson, uh, former point guard at Pitt, entered the portal actually during, not even after, during last season. He is now at Indiana. He is now, because uh, they got a uh, new head coach, uh, boy, what's his name? Uh, Woodson, Mike Woodson. So Xavier Johnson leaves Pitt and is now at Indiana. He has two more years of eligibility left. So here's a kid who we saw in high school up here at the uh, ACIT when he was playing for uh, Bishop O'Connell and Joe Wooten. First, he committed to Nebraska. Then he left Nebraska to go to Pitt. And then he leaves Pitt, and now he's at Indiana. So we'll see what happens. Transfer portal has made things such a mess, has it not? Has it not? It just seems it just makes it too easy. I'm, I'm not saying that players shouldn't have the right or the ability to leave schools if they're not happy with certain situations, but it just seems like it's just too easy now. If you don't get your own way, if you don't like the coach, you're not getting the playing time that you want, the coach is too mean, then you can just jump ship and go somewhere else. Like every team is going to be so different next year. <laughs> it seems like every single team is going to have a total and complete uh, roster turnover because between graduation and the transfer portal, it's going to be hard to keep up. It really is. I mean, we'll do our best. But just look at the changeover in Maryland and West Virginia and now Pitt. I mean, it, it's crazy. It absolutely is. All right. Uh, we're done. I'm off to get my second shot, baby. Woo! Uh, wish me well. And hopefully we have no adverse effects for tomorrow's show, which starts at 7 a.m. sharp. See you then.
This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C, and I am done. Ah, see ya!